0: however the industry was going to reset in technology was always going to be at the forefront of that reset whether it's broadcast technologies whether it's in stadia technology whether it's fan engagement and getting a younger audience properly engaged in in sport and i I don't think what's happened
1: changes that you're listening to sports tech feed the global sports technology podcast Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Alomes. Great to have you joining us again this week. On today's episode, we have Julian Moore, Head of Sports for London for Mills and Reeve. He's dialing in from the UK. And Mills and Reeve is one of the UK's leading sports law practices, acting for the biggest names in the industry, including Premier League clubs, national sporting bodies, and individual athletes. So with the unprecedented situation of basically all major sporting leagues around the world being cancelled or postponed including most recently the Olympics, uh, obviously pushed back to next year. And the exact plan that they're going to implement for that is is yet to be seen, Uh, but certainly it's left a lot of people scrambling for what does that mean for all the contracts that are structured around these competitions and leagues. So on today's show, we have Julian sharing some of his legal expertise, obviously not legal advice. Basically, it's giving a really good overview to what are some of the real issues that we need to think about in the way that these uh these downstream effects of pushing these competitions and leagues is going to have but also solutions out of it but as always it's not all doom and gloom we also spend the second half of the episode talking about ecosystem building uh julian's very much involved in the london sports tech scene so some of the uh, lessons that he's learned from that and also tips for people uh, looking to grow their own ecosystem within sports technology around the world and certainly something that we value at Sports Tech World Series and Sports Tech Feed is that uh, really community building focus. So that was a really enjoyable part of the chat and has some kind of positive outcomes that I think uh, everyone needs to hear at this time uh, in this very bizarre point in history. As always, if you've got any questions, please get in touch. Thomas at sportstechfeed.com. You can also go to sportstechfeed.com for show updates uh episode notes all that good stuff um also some of our previous episodes obviously richard airs last week uh, really interesting chat about sports digital so if you haven't checked that out i highly recommend you go back and uh, and listen into that one but for now it's time to sink our teeth into the legal issues thrown up by all of these crazy times that are happening and what can be done about them <laughs> Julie Moore, Head of Sport London for Mills and Reeves. Uh, Great to have you on Sports Tech Feed. Likewise. Thank you for having me. In late March 2020, we're facing an unprecedented situation in society in general and obviously with sports, uh, with every single major sporting league around the world either cancelled or suspended. Uh, Now even the ISE has uh, declared the move in the 2020 Tokyo Olympics to next year. So what kind of legal issues does that situation throw up to rights holders, individual teams, athletes, broadcasters, all those uh, different moving pieces that that come together for these big deals? Are we about to see a a big free-for-all litigation contract disputes, or is there there another way through that you can think of?
0: Yeah, um, you're right. It's completely unprecedented. There have been examples before where events have been postponed, events have been cancelled. But those have been specific isolated events we've never had before um, globally, everyone facing the same issues effectively at the same time. Um, as a result, it's actually quite difficult, I find, to properly to analyse the legal position because it's it, it, it goes beyond the legal position. There are so many fundamental um, concerns that are all tied up in this beyond just that the what's written in black and white in a contract. There are sporting issues, there are financial issues, um, ethical implications, um, issues of sporting integrity that are all tied up together. And I know it's a point that hopefully we'll, we'll conclude on, but I'll start with it as well. I I, th- I think at the moment that there will, there will come a time when we'll have to analyse legal, legal points uh, specifically, uh, and no doubt there'll be some uh challenges made under particular contracts personally i think at the moment everyone should be focusing on uh, on working together on on collaboration on analyzing what the position is currently um obviously uh, uh, overcoming as many of the kind of immediate health concerns that that, that we have to right now um and then beyond that well to to step back a, a slightly when i um i worked in house for 10 years for infront sports where we were um, as a company selling fifa broadcast rights around the world um and w- when we talked about in contract negotiations issues around cancellation and postponement um the comfort we gave to broadcasters was well obviously, if we're facing that situation, we'll work together as the FIFA family, as the football family. Um, you know, at the time, or well, since actually that time, the, the concept of the football family has maybe been met with a certain degree of cynicism. Um, in those contract negotiations, to, to an extent, we we were using terms like that to to put people's minds at rest in order to sort of move on to the next point. But, but actually, I think that that, that phrase now the football family or actually the global sports industry family has has never been more important um we're an ecosystem we're an ecosystem we're a relatively young industry um we've never faced issues like this before it's uh, uh, and these are global challenges so yeah we'll come into the, some of the legal points now but i think my main key um Uh, the main key consideration now is is hopefully, it's not consideration, but my main hope right now is that everyone is looking at this, realizing there are many, many stakeholders in countries all over the world who are going to have to sit together around a table and with some creative, fresh thinking and, and work out how best to get through this unscathed and come out the other side and we can start watching football, watching sports again.
1: That's certainly a refreshing viewpoint from a lawyer, uh, not to cast aspersions on your profession. Uh, so drilling down specifically into rights holders and and, and the broadcast partners, um, which is one of the, the primary revenue uh, sources for most of these um, sports that we've been discussing, um, where do you see the main legal issues in that in that space and, and I guess the flow and effects for other partners that they're working with? So... As I suggested that at the beginning, apart from just getting an army of lawyers involved, um, what's a potential way out with uh, these large deals? Um, so let,
0: let let let's take a the Premier League as an example because obviously it's it's England, it's my home country. Um, I haven't negotiated uh, for the Premier League, or I'm not privy to those Premier League contracts. But having worked on lots of other major broadcast contracts, my um, i I'd be really surprised if within those deals there aren't some very well negotiated specific provisions dealing with postponement and cancellation. I think the same is true probably of the deal between sky and the e f l as well for lower division football um so if we start as that as a as a, as a point because I think what's happened now is you've seen for both the Premier League and the e f l the league are trying hard not to cancel not just to sort of put put a thing pin in things and say right that's the season over let's let's move on through the summer and start the season again in August as you would normally instead the what they're trying to do is is complete the season now I think there are various reasons why why they want to do that but I think one of the main reasons will be within those contracts uh, there'll be a provision around postponement uh, and there'll be a provision around cancellation postponement, clauses tend to not always but they tend to address or contain wording around the parties working together um maybe a suspension of payments but there won't be any talk about refunds um maybe a covering of some costs broadcaster costs um or or, or something along those lines so financially there will be a hit for the leak but 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 my guess, is it wouldn't be huge. It wouldn't be insurmountable. However, if we move into the realms of postponement, or sorry, into cancellation, then you're talking about right potentially rights fee refunds um, and the ability potentially of a broadcaster to terminate a contract and walk away. H- hence the decision to try and to, to complete the league. Effectively, it's, I mean, it's the same in pretty much any contract, if, if you don't get what you pay for, then you're entitled to terminate a contract and take legal action.
1: Yeah, so p- postpones part completion of the deal. So you got most of your product, but not quite all of it. So you can discuss how you'll you'll take maybe penalties, give partial refunds, you can kind of, um, I guess negotiate much more easy easily from that position. Uh, whereas cancellation is, is much more likely that all bets are off, it's a complete refund. Or it's a it's a frustration of the contract, and then um, I guess a, a higher risk of um, that army of lawyers getting involved.
0: Yeah. So 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 postponement provisions are, 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 are specifically negotiated in the same way that in most contracts of this nature. Working alongside that, um, you'll have something called a force majeure provision, which is otherwise known as an act of God clause. So effectively, something which is um, unanticipated, neither party are at fault, um, and then you'll have a provision setting out what happens in those circumstances. Normally it's both parties are relieved from their obligations under the contract, you down tools, and then you have a period of relief while you what or a period of uh during which you, you hope that um those circumstances will will resolve themselves and then and then the contract comes alive again. Um Although within force majeure provisions, I mean, this, this is potentially where you can get into where you could foresee litigation. Um, a, not all force majeure, majeure, majeure provisions will necessarily uh, include a specific reference to pandemics or epidemics. Um, secondly, um, force majeure provisions don't put obligations on ice indefinitely, and in that quite often they'll give a party um, uh, the right to. Um, to, to terminate a relationship and walk away um it it depends that, that that that's not a right within common law that's something which normally has been included in a contract and therefore agreed expressly between the parties and then beyond that in the uk you have you have um a common law um doctrine of frustration so if neither party can perform again through circumstances which are beyond their control um then uh, again the parties are relieved of obligations but i i think my 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 personal feeling is that for 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 complex sophisticated high value contracts of the type that the premier league have entered into there'll be specific cancellation and postponement expressly uh, provisions expressly uh, negotiated therefore will that hence why we have a, a a period of now postponement potentially um the league being concluded over the summer behind closed doors that in turn opens up a new can of worms um around well a can you can you actually conclude the contract over the summer um will uh uh, will the um will the virus have subsided uh, uh, enough or, or or completely within the uk so that you can safely um well you can so that you can ensure the players safety of going out on the pitch training Training properly, um, having a proper lead-in time, um, not having family members at home who are sick, and therefore the whole family having to go into self-isolation, and then you move into whole issues around sporting integrity. Because if one team has half of its squad on un- under um, self-isolation, um, then and and the, and other teams don't, then, then is it fair to continue on those in those circumstances?
1: Um, yeah. B, you've got issues. Are- and also. I was going to say issues for, for the players in terms of um, if they're at their peak, their peak, as you said, if they're self-isolated, if they're not be able to train properly, perform properly, yeah. and also legal issues around um, players' contracts. So um, something that I've, I've seen uh, recently is so the NBA is basically asking players to take leave without pay, um, as a lot of industries are. You know, sports is not, not immune, as we've very much seen from broader societal issues. Um, it's still a business, so... A lot of players saying um, we're not going to get paid during this time or our contract demands it or whatever that is, is being able to say to players, this is unprecedented. You might need to take a pay cut uh, if you want to see these sporting teams survive. And and just on that, is is that something that you see sporting teams or leagues at risk of going bankrupt or not being able to basically run a season after this? It might take another... So, it might take a, an extended t- period of time off to be able to recoup and and relaunch. Yeah, potentially, and and there's issues then around player contracts
0: as well, because quite often player contracts. So, if a player is out of contract, his contract will come to an end on the thirtieth of June. So, I, 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 I'm not sure. I haven't seen yet anywhere reported how how exactly you're going to be able to deal with that satisfactorily for the where, where everyone comes out of it happy where you've got to play effectively his contract coming to, to an end of the 30th of June, yet he's still being asked by his existing team to play on for a number of indefinite months uh, in order to get the season concluded, where potentially he might have actually entered into a, a contract or a pre-deal with another club, which is part of the same league, or he might get injured during that period where the contract's been extended. I have seen, I think, I think the league... Well, if Again, if we concentrate on the England and we concentrate on the most valuable sport here, which is, which is obviously football, the, the league where I, where I see the most uh, pressure building up is actually the championship, um, where, um, where for a number of those clubs, or even before this, this, this virus hit, they were spending 120, 130% of, of revenue on player wages. Um, so players being paid eighty, ninety, hundred thousand pounds a week. Um, that those clubs now have zero cash flow, and I've seen, well, I saw over the weekend, um, reported that that certain clubs are suggesting that uh, um, um, wages should be deferred for the time being, and that during that period of deferral, there should be a wage cap implemented. Of six thousand pounds per week for every player. Now, clearly, that's that's a that's a massive reduction for players at that higher end of the salary scale. Um, so, yeah, of all of all the leagues, actually in in, in England, like that's that's the one where I see the, the 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 most pressure building. Simply because the economics of that league
1: are um, well, arguably unsustainable anyway. So, once you take away matchday income, and is that and and this is a this is a bit of a loaded question. Feel free to um, have a have a loyally uh, deferral to it. <laughs> but is that a bad thing for sports if um, these leagues that are run unsustainably and these clubs that are run unsustainably do fold? Is it is this a kind of a, a point of consolidation um, and a kind of natural survival of the fittest point that it's taken this big... Meteor mass extinction event um, in coronavirus um, for a few sports teams and leagues that that shouldn't necessarily be operating to fold and then grow into
0: others? I'm going to answer this as a fan, I think, more than than the sports lawyer, if that's okay. I think it will be... um, I I don't want to start thinking now about clubs going out of business. I think football clubs here are um, enormously important for the local communities in which they operate um i I wouldn't want i wouldn't wish that on anyone for to for anyone to see their, their actual club go bust or 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 even worse for that for the whole league to, to 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 no longer function um i i do agree that sport uh or certain sports have long been long overdue a reset and that reset might be financial it might be um an end now to 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 the unsustainable level of players' wages, at it, particularly in in leagues like the Championship. Um, but I hope I'm hoping, uh, and again, this goes back to my original point of stakeholders working together collaboratively. I'm hoping that 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 reset doesn't mean that anyone is ultimately going to go out of business. It just means that the the economics can be looked at, um, and, and and hopefully become more sustainable in in the long run. Maybe that's a positive that could come out of this. I think even before the virus, um, for the first time, I've been working in sport f- um, uh, uh, since properly since since two thousand and four, and and this was the first time, particularly on the kind of media right side, that I've seen um, that I've seen the industry properly in flux, um, with a with a younger audience no longer necessarily engaged in the same way that you and I were as kids, um, with. Um, everyone looking beyond the traditional pay tv subscription model that has been so successful the premier league and sky so i think already people were looking around scratching their heads not in being entirely sure what would what would happen next for sport and realizing that certain traditional established business models were under a lot of stress um or or under a lot of challenge maybe this is a Press the fast forward button, a very fast forward button, um, where where the reset reset
1: is just going to happen a lot quicker than anyone anticipated. And that was that was the analogy that's been used. Um, Richard Ayers from Seven League used it on the on the show last week, talking about um, the analogy to the music industry that it was digital disruption mm-hmm. completely rocked them um, in terms of. Uh, digital downloads the the way people consume things in terms of consuming say one track versus a whole album I mean, you can analogize to people consuming highlights versus a whole a whole match or shows um streaming services OTT there's there's a lot of interesting um analogies there and also a little bit of uh the music industry we're number one so why try harder and I think sports has um suffered from that to a certain extent especially with to a point it was broadcast deals were increasing and that was just you, you made money by opening your doors. Uh, so totally take your point around that, that this has just accelerated that process and something is already in a state of flux. And it's, it's interesting to bring this back to technology, um, things like uh, eSports and, and streaming and, and some of the things we've seen in that space have just been booming in this. It, it's just been a, a fantastic yeah. opportunity for them um, kind of setting all sorts yeah. of records for the amount of streams, amount of gamers on there. Uh, another example is the F one was cancelled, so you had an F one driver jump into a to an esports simulator. Things like that. Is that is that where you see it as well that this is an opportunity for technology and technology companies to, I guess, step up.
0: Yeah, completely. I think I think in my view that, however, pre, again looking at a pre-virus world, um, th- those challenges that we I touched on earlier um however the industry was going to reset in technology was always going to be at the forefront of that reset whether it's broadcast technologies whether it's in stadia technology whether it's f- fan engagement and getting a younger audience in, properly engaged in in sport um and I, and I don't think what's happened changes that um i think it's too early to 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 properly analyze technologies uh part to play once once things are settled and once sport once the seasons start again um but i yeah but i think the the fundamental principle of sport having or technology having to be at the forefront and driving the industry forward now absolutely remains the case um i think where the again if we go back to what we talked about before slightly around the kind of trickle down effect of 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 this on we talked before about the broadcast side um where i think maybe the world of technology has a has a challenge now as as you and i know a lot of a lot of the sports technology companies that are active in the space are fairly young young companies or small companies um in, in a crisis like this the the, the the guys who come out at the other side um quite quite often are the are, are the larger um larger businesses that can afford to take a bit of a hit or the larger models or the or the longer term more established relationships so rather like sky in the premier League um my my concern is perhaps a little bit further down the food chain so for some smaller sports who potentially aren't maybe as um or perhaps are more reliant on sponsor income and sponsor revenues. Because um, I think there's, uh, I mean, ultimately a lot of brands are going to be taking hit out of the back of this as well, whether it's airlines or hotels or even gambling companies at the moment.
1: Um, and similarly to that, um, what's considered, I guess, discretionary spending on that discretionary marketing yeah. um, sponsorship side that that they're just going. We're hurting. We've got absolutely zero revenue coming yeah. in. I mean, airlines, for instance, um, most major airlines shutting down the the all their routes around the world, laying off most of their staff, or at least um, furloughing their staff until mm-hmm. they can come back on board. So, um, if you're going up to them and saying, "Hey, <laughs> yeah, can I have a few few grand, a uh, uh, few gorillas uh, for yeah. this?" You, yeah. You're probably not going to get a very good response.
0: Well, that, that's the case, and and going back to what I said before around kind of force majeure provisions and the ability to walk away from a contract. I think that's unlikely if you're Sky and you're the Premier League because you've got a relationship which goes back over many years and it's a very solid relationship that will no doubt continue beyond, beyond this. But but if you're a, a sponsor who, who already was questioning maybe the relationship or in, a, in, a, in, a, in a fairly tough times, now with the ability and the right to, to, to terminate a, a, a relationship or terminate a contract, I think you're absolutely spot on that discretionary spend within a business, where do people look first, they look at sponsorship budgets and they look at advertising. Um, so that, 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 that's a concern, because as, as you know, for smaller sports, they are more reliant on sponsor income sometimes than, than, than broadcast. Um, Similarly, looking a little bit further down the, the food chain, um, um, it, 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 the position of service providers within the industry, including technology providers at the moment, um, because they're simply further down the food chain and the relationships are less um potentially less valuable to to clubs or leagues or, or or rights owners then then there are certain companies that are going to be vulnerable now so um yeah it's a time for for uh, for 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 tech companies in particular to um yeah to make, potentially pivot to potentially look elsewhere um maybe beyond sport to see to see um to see how um how how best to come out the other side
1: yep and survive through it and and wait for the eventual uptick which who knows how long it's going to be both in terms of sports coming back online but just generally the economy as a whole Um, a global downturn and there is always an uptick that's the that's the thing to to bear in mind and people people live through recessions it happens Um, it's just how you how you survive on the other side and you could come out um, with no company, um, if you, especially if you're a kind of a startup and that's where you're at, you, know, you could come out could come out the other side, um, pivoted to something else. But I think um, kind of working hard in these down times is still very valuable. And something that we've talked to a lot of sports tech startups um, particularly about is if you can survive this, use this as a time to, say, work on your development or work on things, all those that big long to-do list that you had and you never had the time for. Um, you're not going to be selling to people. It's just not going to happen. So maybe go work on your product, work on your dev, work on all that stuff to build that out. And I mean, that's, that's a good segue as well. So, uh, the work that you do with the London Sports Tech Network, so founded that, um, uh, recently kind of building the, the sports tech ecosystem within London, um, fantastic city. And used to be my home, um, before coming over here to the the Deep South, Austin, Texas, um, and definitely got a lot on. And I mean, I'd love for you to share kind of what the vision for that group is, how it started, kind of what you're what you're working on.
0: Yeah, sure. So, um, so I joined Mills and Reeve about eighteen months ago um, with a uh, um, with a kind of a blank piece of paper so I how to grow the practice and um, sort of joined some dots up within within the firm and realized that. Um, with a fantastic technology team, a well-established, long-established, highly-guided sports practice and and a great investments and finance team that sports tech had to be a, an area of focus. Um, and at the time hooked up with um, Sam Barton um, and um, a, a mutual friend of ours, Dan Beddy, who, um, um, who, who is the founder of the startup Jaffa, which is a, a fan engagement platform. The three of us just got chatting and, and realized that, well, London I think is the acknowledged European home of sports tech. Um, a lot of uh, young, creative, highly innovative companies, um, but actually at the time, without uh, um, w- w- without anywhere to meet up regularly and, and or, or, or or kind of sense of joined up network um so it's a fairly simple concept we we put on events and we have a linkedin group and we get people talking um and we've had some what six events now we get some fantastic speakers in from all areas of the of the industry um uh and lay on beer and wine and get people chatting um and it's gone from strength to strength the first event was pretty small the last one we had um was a was a sellout. The less, slightly less people than we'd hope, partly because you know it's it was a fairly challenging time in terms of um, people just not being not coming out to meetings and and and, and sh- I think the week after, in fact, our office shut. Um, yeah. So so each event has been great and really uh, for 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 us, well, I suppose the the ultimate. We have no clear cut ambition for the group. Um, say for being there to get people in the same room to share experience for people to have an opportunity to get up and, and talk about themselves, talk about their companies. We've now got a, a, an informal partnership with the guys at the Sport Tech Hub. So Alex, Sarita and co. Um, who, so in turn, they've got their cohort of startups coming, coming to the sessions and, and, and joining in. Um, and it's really to, and it's not about us, it's not about Mills or Eve and it's not about Sam, it's not about Dan or any of the people who come to the meetings. It's, it's effectively just creating a network and an opportunity for people to get together. And it's been great. It's really good fun. It's been fabulous meeting so many people really, again, going back to the issue of collaboration. It's been, um, yeah, it's been super.
1: And it's, I mean, it's, a, it's a super simple concept and it's something that we we've done in other cities as well and, and know other people that have done it in various cities and it's, it's just getting people in a room or in you know times like these under corona getting people onto another virtual room in the sense of a linkedin group and just getting them chatting collaborating sharing growing i think it's um innately human to just want to connect with people especially something um as passionate as sports and especially sports technology so i yeah totally totally makes sense it's something that we're starting off um in Austin here as well we're starting a kind of similar group to, to herd the cats so to speak of, of all the different people working in sports technology and all the different parts and kind of getting them together even if it's not necessarily in a room for the foreseeable future um, just online and just building that support network and it's certainly something in, in trying times um, in certain times whatever phrase you want to put uh, around 2020 as it's been so far but certainly when everyone needs to pull together um, and be collaborative. Yeah, absolutely, and that that's something we're looking into at the
0: moment. Actually, is just having a series of webinars that we can offer out to to, to members of the group. Um, I think the intention is to get some some experienced people who have been through these sorts of issues before, whether it was dot com crash or financial market meltdown or whatever it is, um, who who have ridden these waves before to. To come in and give some thoughts around, um, particularly for the startups uh, uh, community, to 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 how approach how to how best to approach things, um, as a way of again of just of keeping the the network connected, um, but actually being able to offer something tangible as well and 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 hopefully of of, of help in 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 the coming weeks.
1: And how have you seen? I mean, just broadly outside of Corona, how uh, have you seen the London? seen, I guess, develop um, within sports technology. High level. Um, I, I
0: think that would be the best way of summarising it. I think all the ingredients are in place for something really powerful to to emerge out of out of London in sports tech. Um, I think there are a few or have been a few pieces potentially missing from the jigsaw. So, I'm thinking in particular of uh, funding market um, at a particular level, um, but I think we're absolutely not short of of creativity, uh, of passion. Um, London. Well, Alex Zarita described it to me once as the perfect storm because we've effectively got all the clubs. Uh, we've got the uh, one of the um, centres of global finance here. Um, we've got huge amounts of people who participate and have a love and passion for sport. Um, and we have a, an, an amazing technology industry in this part of the world as well. Um, and, and we're a hub often for, or, or, or the first point for uh, the Americans as an entry point into the European markets um, and vice versa with other markets in, in Europe um i think we need one or two big high 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 profile success stories or so unicorns or whatever um and then i think once once the market has uh has that momentum it's 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 going to uh, it's going to really take off um i think that obviously there's been a lot of activity already um and and said leading the way if you look at read the read the reports in terms of in terms of europe um, but as always in sport, you look over across the Atlantic and see what's happening in the US, and we're a little little way off what's the the, the, the US sports tech market. But again, if you follow historical trends, um, the, the the will come a point where we'll catch up, and that's hugely exciting.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know, I mean, London is a London is a truly world city, global city. It's one of the, the few places in the world that you have a you have a national capital. You have the Judiciary, the legislature, the financial, the cultural, um, and the sporting capital, all in one place. Um, so for people coming through Europe, mainland Europe, thinking about expanding, obviously London is the is the main avenue. And then, as you said, uh, people from North America and, and elsewhere, and obviously there's there's a heap of Australians there. I know that you can't get away from them, like cockroaches. <laughs> just, yeah, just every single pub in London and. All around the yeah, where well, I am in Wimbledon, we have got a lot of South Africans as well. There you go, yeah, yeah. Just, just take, take the, the, the former, the, form, the former colonies. We always come back. So. <laughs> uh, but yeah. that, that's and that's great to hear. And that's something as well that I'd encourage our listeners is if whatever your hometown is, um, wherever you are, there's there's always the opportunity for you to grow your local sports tech community. And, and all it takes is just yourself individually or or getting together with a few friends. Um, as you said, so Sam. Sam and Dan there and just going, what can we do to bring people together? And obviously not city, every city in the world is London. As I said, um, it's a fairly unique place, but that doesn't mean that uh, you can't do something to build that community, help grow it, um, grow your own endeavours in the process, um, but certainly shouldn't be the number one aim uh, and just help people out because I think more of that's going to help everyone come through this um relatively unscathed um so you know rising tide lifts all boats uh, completely
0: true completely completely agree with that um and, f- and from the outset of kind of setting up london sports tech network sports tech network um it's it's really struck me how um opal open people have been to to the idea to come along to events to contributing um just just recently when we've gone out for people Looking for support for, for for running these webinars, the amount of people who've have come back and put their hands up and said, "Yeah, we'll like, we'll contribute," uh, and that that isn't because of what's happening right now. That's just indicative of, of very much my experience of of the London sports tech ecosystem. It's um, it's it's young and um packed full of people who who um who who yeah who recognise that 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 there's a there's a strength of working together.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's great and and hopefully that's something that um, carries up to the upper levels, the upper echelons when you have these teams and leagues coming together and and broadcasters and whoever else is involved, individual players um, and realising that this especially in 2020 is is not the time to be um, making demands so to speak. It's everyone's hurting and everyone's trying to get through this so... Um, I think the the yeah. more collaborative and more creative that people can be, the sooner we're going to see sports back on our TVs, on our devices, you know, at our local local areas. Yeah, completely. And I, and I and I,
0: I I'm not a sports lawyer who's licking his lips at the prospect of years of litigation. I think litigation will 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 potentially or has the has the potential of of. Of freezing the industry as it currently stands, so you're absolutely spot on. It's not a time for unilateral action or unilateral decision making. It's it's a time to recognise that um, it's a it's a very um, joined up um, and um, intertwined um, and actually quite fragile ecosystem.
1: Yeah, definitely. So pausing you as a, as a sports lawyer and re-engaging you as a fan, as you mentioned earlier, when I asked that question about um clubs potentially going bankrupt what's your favorite sporting moment of all time um luton town
0: littlewood's cup final 1988 luton town three arsenal two we were two one behind with um with uh, i think it was seven minutes to go and ended up winning that game three two i was 17 years old Uh, my dad had to restrain me on the terraces of wembley uh, uh, it'll never happen again. Um, uh, well, it's highly unlikely to ever happen again. It was the most remarkable fairy tale, uh, as a, as a Luton fan. And I must've watched the VHS. Um, uh, well, I did watch it until it, until, until it ran out. So yeah, that's that and the 2005 ashes. But seeing as you're an Australian, I, I don't, I won't bring that up right now. Oh,
1: oh mate, it's all right. We <laughs> had to let you win at some stage. Uh, but what was the what was the what was the talk? Can you give me some more about so Luton Town? Where where are we talking? Luton Town versus Arsenal? I mean, obviously for people that know English football, that that goes without saying. For some of our other listeners across the pond, give us some setting context of of Luton Town and Arsenal at that stage. Well, actually, at that stage,
0: as growing up, Luton were a, were a top division side, uh, punching above their weight. Um, but we're never going to challenge for you know, the, the, the league. Um, we would have say 10,000, 9, 10,000 people at that point coming in on a regular basis to home games. Um, but it didn't last. We, we had so that I'd say that was the, that was very much the high point of our recent history. Um, and, and obviously Arsenal, everyone knows Arsenal and and the remarkable achievements that they then went on to secure af- after <laughs> having lost to lost to us in the Littlewoods Cup final. But um, yeah, in context, I guess uh, uh, well, since then L- Luton had three insolvencies in ten years and ended up in the fifth division um, uh, of, of football and have, have slowly climbed their way back. But uh, it's um, it's a f- it's a relatively small town um, where the club is in 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 incredibly important for the local community. Very much part of the local community. Um, thankfully, now has a much brighter future. But I would say is typical of so many clubs um, throughout the UK. We have our moments. We've had our moments historically of success. We've had our moments of absolute horror um and you could point to 60 70 other clubs in 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 the country who all, are all of a similar type and of similar importance just for their for their locality um which goes back to the point again about hence why not wanting to see anyone go out of business out of this um because I know I know as a fan of a small club that it's how how important uh, how important the clubs are, not just for the immediate fans, actually, but for e- everyone um, as to give a sense of community pride and a uh, sense of belonging and um, uh, uh, happiness kind of on a Saturday afternoon.
1: There you go. Well, I thought we were going to end on a high note, but <laughs> the, the sense of happiness on a Saturday afternoon is is directly tied to these these uh, these clubs staying afloat. But I, uh, I have full faith that that they will see the writing on the wall and um, and work collaboratively and hopefully it is it is the the launching off point for the the Luton towns and the um, other clubs of its ilk um, to realise they've had those glory years and they can take on Arsenal again. Um, they just need to be able to keep the lights on to be able to do that. So maybe some unsustainable financial practices are, are reassessed during um, Corona and come out the other side stronger leaner better than before
0: yeah actually Luton is a good example in all seriousness and that we have a we have a an executive team there who who have managed the club haven't been out of nearly gone out of business three times in 10 years we now have an executive team who deliberately manage that club prudently conservatively we don't spend above our means
1: um and actually I think almost almost running it like a business shocker <laughs> <up. Yeah, absolutely. laughs> what a novel concept in yeah, sports yeah and
0: we have we got planning permission for a new stadium and other other developments that will support that and actually that potentially is 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 the model that's just, that's the model moving forward it's just it's sustainability and it's 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 um it's as you say it's 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 not a a revolutionary thing to do beyond beyond football but I think it has to be now. Be it be the future for football, particularly at that level.
1: Yeah, and and just a thought to to end up and again, type of technology is that something that you think that these smaller clubs, especially that don't have the budget, um, but maybe have more um, creativity and more span to be able to be creative, is, is something that younger sports tech companies can actually approach and say, "Hey, we'll we'll do a free trial with you. We'll get you going. We're untested, but." you know it's not going to cost you anything in the long run is that that's definitely something that i think um that clubs would be open to as long as it's not you're not asking someone for money but if you're just asking and saying hey we can work with you around some of this stuff that's a that's a a, an attractive proposition completely agree
0: yeah definitely and there were some forward thinking well-run clubs with um who are no longer just just uh, 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 follow that old school approach who I could definitely see um, uh, uh, being open to those sorts of um, suggestions, yeah, definitely.
1: Cool. All right, well, thanks so much for your time, Julian. Um, we'll add some stuff in the show notes. I'll try and hunt down, hopefully, um, Luton Town. Hopefully someone's put the VHS on YouTube and I can hunt down some footage so everyone can relive it at home, including yourself. Uh, and we'll include a link to the London Sports Tech Network, so anyone um, in the locality or, I mean, even if you're passing through um, London on, on business, as a lot of people do, opportunity to get involved. And, of course, the webinars, um, which uh, are going to be happening in, in the next little bit. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you enormously.
0: Thanks, thanks for your time this afternoon and for, for getting me to contribute. Really it.
1: No worries. Thanks, Julian. Thank you very much. And there you have it. That was Julian Moore, Head of Sports London for Mills and Reeve. Some really interesting stuff there and obviously a very refreshing approach to hear a sports lawyer uh, actually coming out and saying, well, legal action is, is not the way forwards. It, it should be about collaboration and it should be about working together. So, not to impugn the character of any lawyers out there. Um, sorry, you've got a bad reputation. Yours, not mine. So, um, but Julian's one of the good ones and I'm sure there's plenty more out there that are actually uh, pushing this this viewpoint that really it's got to be about collaboration because this is way beyond any scope, any experience or really any precedent that's been set before. Obviously something very important in the legal system is understanding precedent and I think this is an opportunity to basically set a good one anyone working in sports rights uh, and working in that that space, I encourage you to to reach out to Julian if you think that would be of help. Put his details on the uh, sportstechfeed.com on the episode page uh, so anyone can get in touch. And as always, if you'd like to get in touch with me there's a contact form on there. Um, Love to hear guest suggestions or any other thoughts about the show. Thanks again for joining us and we'll catch you here same time, same place next week. (laughs)